Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. Uh, Good morning, church. All right. Sounds like some people had their coffee, so that's good. Um, so this morning's message, I just wanted to briefly, so just a moment ago we took communion, and communion is, a, is something that we as believers do to remember what, uh, what Christ has done for us. So um, just to preface this morning's message, because this message is for, for believers um, specifically, and what we'll see in James, if you took communion this morning, this message is going to apply to you. It's, it, it could serve as a warning, or it could serve as what I think is a glorious uh, assurance of our salvation and, and something for us to, to have confidence in. So um, if you took communion this morning, this is, this is for you. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to James. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and we'll have it up on screen. You can read a, follow along in your Bibles, or um, I'm just going to read it for us. Verse 14 says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters... If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The key concept for us this morning is going to be that you are saved through and only through genuine faith in Jesus Christ. But that genuine faith in Jesus Christ will be evidenced by your works. Let me open us up in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and to uh, allow your word to to speak to us this morning. God, I just pray that we lower any walls, any defenses that we may build up uh, that can hinder um, the appropriate application of this passage um, God, we just we thank you for an opportunity um, to meet together as your body. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What would you think 
If I told you that I was a salesman that never makes sales, or if I was um, a preacher who never preached, or um, if there was a car that doesn't drive, or a light that doesn't turn on, how about a, a cure for a disease that's never administered? At best, you would say that these things are useless. They're worthless. They're probably ingenuine. This is the same when we look at faith. Faith without works, faith that does not produce good works, is useless, is worthless faith. Uh, in Refresh, which is our Wednesday night uh, young adult worship service, um, we've spent about a month and a half going through the book of James. And during this time, we've been challenged week after week, message after message, passage after passage, um, to live our lives in certain ways. We have seen this book as a, a how-to guide uh, to live the Christian life, uh, an instruction manual for Christianity. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why I enjoy this book so much. For one, it's, it's shorter. It's only five chapters, which allows us to easily wrap our head around the whole book. But also, it's, it, it's seemingly very black and white. We, we, whenever we read it, we clearly see applications that we can apply to our life. James tells us what is expected of us as followers, as believers of Jesus Christ. And throughout these five chapters that make up this basically letter to the church, to believers, we see a series of challenges, a series of directions pointing us towards qualities that we should have when we profess our faith, what we should look like, how we should be portrayed when we're following Christ. So I'm just going to list out, I don't think we have a slide for this, but um, some things that I've highlighted throughout these five chapters. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, we're told to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. And uh, verse 19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, to show no partiality. We should be fair in how we treat people, treat everyone. Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we're told to tame the tongue. Uh, 3.14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Uh, chapter 4.4, 4, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Chapter 4, 6 through 10, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't know about you, but I, I find great encouragement in the definitive words used in passages like this, will. We know beyond any shadow of a doubt what God's word is saying here, will happen. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, uh, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves then before the Lord and he will lift you up. Chapter 4, 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Just two more. Chapter 5, 8 through 9, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And then lastly, uh, five twelve. above all my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. That's just some things, some, 
some, uh, some hands-on things that we could pull from, from the five chapters of James. And what's interesting here is this book seems to uh, have a heavy emphasis on our works. It's a very practical book. It's a very practical look at what we as believers should be doing. Oftentimes in Christian circles, I think we, I think we rightfully um, reflect on the truth that our salvation comes through faith and faith alone, which is absolutely true, and you will certainly not hear me say anything different this morning. That our faith is through um, only our faith in Christ, and faith through any other means um, would be false, if not heretical. Scripture is clear on this, and this is, I, I believe, an essential doctrine for the Christian faith. There are countless undisputable texts that tell us that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ and and not by anything that we have or ever will do. Uh, Just three examples of this. Romans 3.28, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Galatians 2.16, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And lastly, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If you're here today and you are a child of God, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, it is, you are saved by nothing other than your faith in Christ. There's no good thing you've ever done that could reconcile you back to God. You could never have lived a good enough life to remove the stain of sin from your life. This required a blameless sacrifice in which Jesus lovingly stepped in to provide on your behalf. This is, in a nutshell, the gospel. And, and I just want to add how freeing of a gospel is that. How amazing is it and how much relief does it provide that our salvation is not dependent on my ability to do anything. If it was up to me and my strength and my willpower, I would be in serious trouble because I am the person who can't exert enough self-control to not snooze in the morning. I, I joked during first service, I think I snoozed three or four times this morning. And sometimes that off button's pretty close to the snooze. I could still be sleeping right now. And this is second service. So thankfully, it is not up to me and my ability to do anything, even refrain from sinning. Christ did this so he could die as the propitiation for our sins. And I just want to take a moment and express uh, I encourage you to express your uh, thankfulness that our salvation is not dependent on what we deserve, but instead on what Christ has accomplished. I tell you this boldly and with the most amount of love that I can give. If, if you are burdened by the gospel, if the gospel burdens you, then you have the wrong gospel. The gospel frees us, not binds us. So today's task is for us to reconcile this essential understanding of our salvation through only faith in Jesus Christ and this passage in James that seems to really be emphasizing our works. 
and not just a mere faith alone salvation. Read here again in James 2.23. And the scripture says, or, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Verse 24. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Does this not, at least at surface level, seem to undermine what we just read from the Apostle Paul? Are we considered righteous by our faith alone or through our works? And the short version is no. No, James certainly does not contradict Paul. In fact, I find it interesting to mention that both Paul and James were major contributors to the first church council, which is outlined in Acts 15, in which this council was set to establish a position on this very issue, mainly the relationship between faith and works. So they they were friends. They understood each other's position, and they were in agreement. So this morning, we're going to work through this, and we're going to ask ourselves, what is James actually saying here? We know that he's not saying that you are saved by your works, because this would be heretical. We must always remember God's word will never contradict God's word, and we must interpret it with Scripture within the context of the passage we're reading. So James starts off this, and this passage we're going to look at, 14 through 26, he starts this off with a rhetorical question. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? This would be like me asking you, what good is an Amazon gift card that has no money on it? Would I be able to buy anything? The answer is almost a humorous, no, of course not. James here is saying that it is of no use for someone to claim to have faith if their life is producing no deeds, no fruit. He then adds that such a faith is unable to save. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm reading Scripture and I read things like this that says, hey, this, this scenario, this thing leads to death, or this thing if it's in your life, is evidence of not being saved. These are like warning signs that we need to read, that we need to listen to, and we need to understand them. It's, it's like if you're walking through the forest and you see a sign saying, warning, radiation ahead, don't enter. You're going to want to pay attention to that sign. And it's, it's there for only one reason, your protection and your safety. So we see this. We see that God's uh, word in Scripture provides these details for us so that way we not, may not be fooled into a false sense of salvation based upon false pretenses. This warning goes on to protect people from what um, we would probably today identify as um, antinomianism, which if you're a Scrabble player, that's a good word to know. Um, if you've never heard of antinomianism. We're going to learn it together today. In, in Christianity, an antinomian is one who takes the principle of salvation by faith and grace to the point of asserting that the saved are not expected to follow the moral law contained in the Ten Commandments. Basically, we can think of antinomianism as the opposite of legalism. We all probably know what legalism is. Legalism is salvation through works, that you've got to work your way into, into heaven. If you're not doing these works, then you're not saved. We, I feel like we tend to talk about legalism a lot more than we talk about antinomianism. Antinomianism is the opposite. It's that salvation is not going to produce works in your life, that you can just continue to live the way you want. 
um, while professing faith and be saved. Whereas Christianity is that we are saved through genuine faith in Jesus Christ, which will produce fruit in our life. This is, this is a pervasive issue within our culture, and apparently it was 2,000 years ago as well. This thought process that if we, are, if we are saved apart from anything we're doing, if we're saved apart from the good and bad in our life, then why not continue to just do what I want? Why not continue to just live in sin? Because my sin isn't, uh, isn't an impacting factor on my salvation. This is the very thing that Paul addresses rather, rather sternly in Romans 6.1 where he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We read in Scripture this idea that when we accept Christ, when we become believers, the old self has died. The old Brandon is no longer here. The one who was um, enslaved to sin is now dead, and the new Brandon is born again a new life with Christ. This is the very thing that baptism symbolizes, the death, burial, and resurrection of us in Christ. Think about this for a second. Is it possible for someone to die and be reborn in new life with Christ, no longer a slave to sin, and their life look no different after than it did before? If we are no different after our profession of faith in Christ than we were before we began professing faith in Christ, I, I think we, we really need to reflect on this passage because it's very possible that we've missed something. I want you to think back to this first verse from today, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith? That's, that's our profession. That's a profession of faith. What good is it if someone professes faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? The answer is no. This passage tells us that simply professing faith is not an evidence of salvation. In fact, this passage even goes as far as comparing this simple statement to that of the, the belief of the of, on the part of the demons. Even the demons believe in God. We see that in verse 19. This passage makes it clear to us that there is a difference between a statement of faith, a statement of belief, and a true statement of belief. Now, maybe you're at this point thinking, as I mentioned, all of us here this morning took communion, if you did take communion, those of us that did take communion, our partaking in communion is a, is a profession of our faith. And now we're asking ourselves, do we have true faith or dead faith? If you're here today as a professing believer, how do you know if your faith is genuine or is it dead faith, as James puts it here in this passage? And I would agree, we better know the answer to this question. Because one leads to life and one leads to death. Whenever uh, I, I get the privilege and the blessing of, of, of teaching weekly at Refresh on Wednesday nights, and um, anybody that's been to Refresh at this point probably knows that one thing that I, I really harp on a lot is self-evaluation. 
I think that we constantly need to be in a, a cycle of evaluating ourselves. I think this is the very reason that God give, gave us the Word, so that way we can um, compare ourselves to it, so that way we can see where, where am I at in my life. This is God's Word in which is the foundation for our life. We need to be looking in the mirror, holding ourselves up to the pages of Scripture. And my goal for all of us today is that we ask ourselves some tough questions. And the question is this, does my life demonstrate the faith that I claim? Do I profess faith in Christ, but my life is no different than the unbelieving neighbor next door? And the goal here, and I really want to say this with a lot of love, the goal here is not to provoke you to begin questioning or doubting your salvation. That is not my goal here. But instead, for all of us here that profess faith in Christ, I want to provide through this scripture um, a confidence and an assurance of your salvation that we know through looking at our life and seeing the difference in our life from now from than it was before, that we know that God is alive and at work in our life. Now, part of that is the potential that the very thing that the goal here is to affirm our faith with maybe isn't present in your life. And if that's the case, I would highly encourage you to begin to ask some hard questions and to dive into God's Word. God wants us to be able to stand firm in our assurance and our salvation. God does not want us to daily be questioning ourselves and to be doubting our walk. That is not the way that he wants us to live. He wants us to stand firm in his word and to know that we are his. But we are also to work it out with fear and trembling. This is incredibly important stuff. We are literally talking about life and death. There's nothing more important for you to spend time in reflection than this. This passage and many others clearly tell us the importance that our works play in our life. <coughs> As we get into this tension between James and his heavy focus on works in comparison to Paul's heavy focus on salvation through only faith, what we are seeing is not that James believed that you can be saved by your works, but that our works are an evidence of our genuine faith. James 2.18 says, But some will say, You have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without my deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. I can't help but think to Matthew, uh, a passage in Matthew chapter 7, um, starting in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They're, they're different on the inside than they're appearing on the outside. They're claiming something that's not true. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree, every good tree, bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good, uh, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not by their profession will you know them, but by their fruits you will know them. Here's the bottom line. When it comes to our faith, our works, and everything in between, Scripture, as we have seen, is clear that you are saved by your faith in Christ and only 
by your faith in Christ. If we were saved by any other means, then we would be able to boast over our salvation because we at least at some level helped in our salvation. When, we, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, your life will change. It has to. You will always gradually begin to resemble the thing in which you worship. And that can be God or that can be something else. The way we live our life, the works, our deeds, the fruit, whatever you want to call it, will showcase where our heart is. The simple fact here is that if you have genuine faith in Christ, your life will produce good works. Now, remember the the order is important here. A byproduct of your saving faith is a life of fruitful living, not the other way around. The way, the way I like to think about this, because sometimes it can be confusing, um, I, I tend to be kind of an analytical thinker, and I like to kind of sum things down to simple illustrations that help me remember things. And, and I'll preface the danger whenever we do that with doctrine or scriptures. There's never going to be a perfect illustration to surmise something that is um, vastly more complicated than uh, the little illustrations that we come up with. But, but it, they do serve a purpose, and they do help. Um, kind of create this nice little framework that's easy for us to remember. So this morning, um, this is kind of how I think about it, how I reconcile faith and works. I want you to think of a car. And in this illustration of the car, the engine running is salvation, is a saved human being. Turning the key and the ignition of that car is our profession of faith. If we don't turn the key and the engine will not start, Period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. If you don't, if you don't turn the key of the start or in the ignition, that key will not start. So the turning of a key in the ignition is our profession of faith, which is what starts the car. In fact, it's important to know that um, only the turning of the key can start that car. There's no other means. It has to be through that. The problem, however, is that anyone here who has ever driven a vehicle older than 10 years knows that just because you turn the key in the ignition doesn't mean that car is going to start, right? Sometimes other things happen. (coughs) Simply claiming to have faith or simply turning a key does not ensure that the engine's running within that vehicle. But there is a surefire way to know if your profession was genuine, if that engine is running. If after you turn that key, if emissions start coming out of that tailpipe... You or anyone else in view of your car will know beyond any uh, reasonable doubt that that motor is alive and well and is running. Now, I want you to remember, the emissions coming out of the tailpipe had absolutely nothing to do with the starting of that engine. They did not aid in the process of starting the, the motor. The only thing that they are is a necessary byproduct of the faith that started the car. Just like if a life is bearing no fruit, if there are no emissions coming out of that tailpipe, the engine is not running. I challenge you to ask yourself, is your engine running? 
I got to believe that there's somebody here this morning that needs to hear this. And I'm not trying to be tough just to be tough. This is God's word. This is as we read it in Scripture, as James tells us here in this passage, that true faith in Jesus Christ, which is the only thing that can save you, is evidenced by a life of fruit-bearing. How can we be so sure of this? I mean, when we say, I mean, I, I, I understand that I'm making a bold statement here by saying that if a life is not bearing any fruit, then there is reasonable uh, concern for whether or not that engine's running. How can we be so sure that genuine faith in Christ will always produce a life of fruit? That, that is necessary for us to understand that so that way we can make uh, such bold statements like asking ourselves if we have true faith based on the evidence of the works coming out of our life. Well, I think to a passage in John, uh, specifically John 15, verses 1 through 5, that says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that way it will uh, be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also in you, No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither you can bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there's a sermon and a half just in that passage. But here's the gist of what is being said. That there is a vine, and that vine is Jesus. And attached to that vine are branches, and that's us. When the branches are connected to the vine, the vine produces fruit through the branches. We as followers of Christ are a conduit for Jesus to bear fruit through. If a branch was connected to the vine and the branch did not bear fruit, this would be evidence of an issue on the part of the vine, not the branch. We are attached to a good vine, are we not? In fact, this passage even goes a step further to identify the vine dresser who is God the Father who is coming around regularly to prune us that we might bear even more fruit. What happens if the branch becomes disconnected from the vine? What happens if we become disconnected from Jesus? It becomes impossible to bear fruit. Why? Because it's the vine bearing the fruit. In fact, it's worthless and will be thrown into the fire. You see, our only task in this life is not to work hard, is not to try to bear fruit. Our task is to remain connected with the vine that is Jesus Christ. If Christ is the Lord of our life, if he is the Savior of our soul, your life will produce good fruit. It has to, because Christ is living within you, producing the fruit. Our genuine faith in Jesus Christ connects us to the vine, which will produce the fruit in our life. If your life is not producing fruit, if you are a lover of the world and everything that it has to offer, I challenge you to ask yourself, how is it possible if you are one with Christ, one who hates the world? So in conclusion, as we, as we just sum this all up, I want to recap We've talked about a lot of different things um, in light of the book of James. We see this as a how-to manual to live a godly life. We understand that our salvation is not by our ability to accomplish things and work hard 
But instead, we, as James mentions, these, these, these different things that our life should look like, we begin to want to live the way that James tells us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that there are no good deeds that we could ever accomplish that would pay the price of our sins. If you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I don't, uh, I don't see much fruit in my life. If my life went under investigation, there would be far more evidence pointing to my love of the world than my love of God. Maybe you're sitting here and you know beyond any reasonable doubt that you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no amount of money that will satisfy you. No earthly pleasures that will satisfy you. There's no amount of vacations, no amount of sex, drugs, or rock and roll that will satisfy you. But there is one who will satisfy you. John 4.14, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you find yourself jumping from one lust of the world to the other or from one vice to the next, I urge you to find your fulfillment in Christ. I urge you uh, today, Jesus Christ is the only source of fulfillment you will ever find. There's no life that you could live that will bring you more joy and more fulfillment than a life of obedience to God. If that's you, today is the day. We need not to put it off. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, He wants you. If that's you today, and, and you want to stand and shout, you want to sit and pray in your chair, Today is the day to reconcile with God. Not by the works you're doing. Not by anything that you can promise that you will do. But by a true repentant profession of faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Lord of your life. I pray that our life, the way that we live, the things in which we do, our works, our fruit, will be so abundantly evident of our faith in Jesus Christ that when people see our lives, that they can't help but want what we have. And that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray for every single soul in this room. I pray that we leave here either affirmed and confident of our salvation in you as evidenced by the change in our life, that we almost don't even recognize the old, the old Brandon who has died. I can clearly see that I'm a new person standing here, and that is by no other means than uh, your grace in my life and you working in my life. I pray that we, we leave here assured and confident of our salvation. But God, if there's anybody here who, who looks and sees no difference in their life, today from when they were enslaved to sin before their first profession of faith, God, I pray that you, uh, you encourage every single one of us to ask these hard questions and um, and to get serious. That there's nothing more serious in our life than our walk with you. That there's nothing in our life getting in the way of our walk with you. That we love you above everything else in this world. That nothing even comes close. And God, we thank you. We thank you for, um, for the sacrifice that you made 
the atonement, the propitiation of our sins, your son Jesus Christ, sending him to the cross so that way we could be reunited with you one day in glory. God, we thank you. We ask that you bless um, the rest of this week. God, I ask that you give us opportunities to be a light in this dark world. And God, we thank you. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brandon. Maybe you're here today and there's something uh, going on in your life for which you need prayer. We invite you to uh, be with the prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. They'll wait for you. Or maybe just to say yes to a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. They would love to introduce you to the Lord that they know. But before we do that, I want to ask you to stand together. We're going to have a closing prayer. And before we have the closing prayer, we're going to sing a song. Fanny Crosby wrote a song named Redeemed. We've been talking about redemption this whole time. And the chorus, do you remember it? It goes like this. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. It's coming back to some of you. Ready? Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we are born again to your, into your family, we are children. We need to grow, we need to mature, we need to progress in the faith, and we've been challenged today to do just that. Help us, Lord, in the lives that we live in this next coming week to represent you well. Enable the love of Jesus to be seen in us, we pray. For we ask it in Christ's name and God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.